It's the day after the Jared Kelnick trade, and the winter meetings are underway in Nashville, so there's quite a bit going on in the world of the Mariners right now. We're going to answer some of your questions coming up here on Mailbag Monday. Colby, hit it. You are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ahoy, sailors. It is Monday, December 4th, 2023. This is Tidy Gonzalez and Colby Vanhead for the Locked On Mariners podcast brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on. That's L O C K D O N to get yourself started. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Subscribe, like, and turn on alerts if you're watching on YouTube. Or subscribe and leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform if you like what you hear. And if you're part of the crew and rock with us every single day, let us know in the comments below. And if you want to hear from us even more, please consider signing up for our Patreon. You can now get a free seven-day trial to check out the show. The link, as well as their social accounts, is in the description of this episode. This is Mailbag Monday, the show where we answer your Mariners questions. And we're going to start here with Jenny. Wants to know, hey guys, which do you think is John Stanton and company's top priority? One, being one of the top cash flow positive clubs in Major League Baseball. And if we win while we're at it, great. Two, building a team and saving their silver bullets money to land and extend the right players. Both of those things kind of go hand in hand, right? Right. Like Stanton wants to prioritize revenue, and that directly has an impact on number two, which is more of a front office thing where money is a finite resource because Stanton is never going to afford Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander the resources that they should have. And therefore, the the Mariners, their baseball operations, has to be very selective with how they spread out their funds. Right? So I think number two gets impacted by number one, and both of those things are, are essentially true. It's just number two is more of a priority for the front office because of their circumstances. And number one is the priority of the ownership because they're greedy. Um, Billionaires want more money. Imagine that. Uh, So yeah, it's definitely number one is the priority though. Like that, that is John Stan's number one priority. Jerry DePoto, Justin Hollander, they don't care about number one, but unfortunately their boss only cares about number one. uh, And so they have to act accordingly, uh, which is, which honestly what makes yesterday's trade so annoying uh, and so frustrating. So uh, I guess we shouldn't be all that surprised because, you know, this is a team that, you know, one of the most profitable teams over the last three years, and yet they haven't, you know, reintroduced much of that money into the ball, into the ball club. Uh, they made some additions to the ballpark, which most of us will never utilize anyways. Uh, but we shouldn't be that surprised because we got to remember Stanton was part of the old ownership group. Uh, the old ownership group thought the exact same way. And we probably should have realized that John Stanton thought the exact same way when he basically refused to say he would have fired Kevin Mather, who publicly said, amongst other things, our goal is to win 85 games every year, make a profit. And if we sneak into the playoffs once in a while, that's good enough. Uh, and when asked if, if they would, if they, he would have fired him if he hadn't resigned, he wouldn't answer the question, which tells you the answer is no. So, uh, John Stanton, Kevin Mather said the, the quiet part out loud. We were hoping Stanton was different. We have zero evidence to suggest he's any different than the Nintendo group. We have zero evidence to suggest he's going to run this ball club any different than, you know, Howard Lincoln and Chuck Armstrong. Like we have no evidence, zero zip Mm -hmm. zilch to suggest that he cares about winning. Like he says he does. He'd like to win. 
but not as much as he'd like to rake in hundreds of millions of dollars, knowing full well that when he sells this team, he's going to make a billion dollars in profit minimum. Hmm. He's not running. He's not running at a loss here, guys. The the root sports thing is is not going to cost him a penny out of his own pocket. None of the guys in the ownership group are losing money. None. Maybe they don't make as much as they did the year before, but they're not losing yeah, anything. That, Nothing is coming out of their pocket. Yeah, the the regional sports network aspect of this is they're not going to make as much as they would like to, as they projected to. But it doesn't mean that they're going to lose money. They're still going to be a profitable ball club because mm-hmm. having access to root sports be more of a premium thing. Yeah, that is going to impact quite a few people uh, in the area. But there's still going to be a lot of people that do make the upgrade. So while they are going to lose some people in that regard, they're still going to get a ton of money coming through. They're not losing money. They're not. They're not going to go bankrupt. They're not broke boys all of a sudden. Yeah. They're not like. They're just not going to make as much mm-hmm. as they would like to. And they'll always make it back at the end when they sell the club. Um, by the way, if the mayors are really concerned about revenue streams drying up. You know, it would be a great way to introduce new revenue streams. Sign oh. the guy who played for the Angels the last couple of years, uh, who, by the way, passing as speculated is the quote unquote mystery team that suddenly has entered the show. Otani talks. So we'll see. I, I wouldn't hold my breath, but oh, oh, just saying, oh, hold on, hold on. Pat Passon said the Mariners are the mystery team. Or? He's speculating, but yes, he did say that. <laughs> it's pure speculation I mean, on his he's, part. He's, but... he, he's, he's, he's the one that did the whole Blanche at the money thing, though. Yeah, like he's I the know, one right? who started this with that report. So, wh- okay, it's but, almost right. like everybody's just speculating about everything and they don't have I'm, any actual evidence. I'm not giving that any of my energy. Nope. All right. Next we're, question. We're moving on. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. Mark wants to know, I know I am a minority, but why should I be upset that we traded a guy who can't get out of his own head? Talking about Jared Kelnick. I mean, take away the month and a half that he had last year. He has been overwhelmed by big league pitching. I think it's less about the player that you're trading away and more about what the trade represents, which is that Jerry DePoto and Justin Hollander are not going to have the funds that they need. And as a result, they're having to make business decisions instead of baseball decisions. Mm-hmm. And by the way, just for the record, the month and a half that Jared Kelnick had is better than any month and a half Jackson Coar has ever had um, or Cole Phillips, mostly because Phillips has been hurt. But yeah, so you, you still um, I like I like Jared. Um, I think his uh, I think his fire can be good if it's properly like placed mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. And we don't know if it is or isn't there. There's some whispers today, but, you know, after the fact whispers tend to come out quite often. So we don't know how much of that is true or not, but, uh, and I don't want to speculate on it, but I like Jared um, and he's 24 years old. And, you know, even if it was only a month and a half, he did take significant strides last year. Yeah. Uh, you get him for five years, like it's a good player. And if a team like the Braves thinks that Jared Kelnick can be a good player, they're pretty good. They're pretty smart. So um, yeah, you know, it, it, to me though, I think most of the outrage is just that like it, it's, it's a salary dump trade. Uh, yeah. And that that thought's going to be viewed, and and that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's it's hard not to view it like that. I like the guy that they got back, Phillips, but yeah, it's it's still yeah. a straight salary dump trade. Um, again, maybe there are some issues uh, in the clubhouse or something. We don't know. Uh, some have speculated, right. but yeah, I, I I think it's it's more. I think, and again, I don't I don't want to speak for most people, but I do think that a large chunk of people are really more upset about like 
Like, why wouldn't you just keep Kelnick and just eat the, the, you know, $15 million about what it ended up being? Uh, why not just eat the $15 million and keep Jared Kelnick? Right. Uh, especially. And the reason we know that that's an ownership, ownership decision more so than a baseball decision is that if Jerry is so financially restricted as we are now, you know, led to believe Jared Kelnick is exactly the type of guy he would try to trade for because he's cheap and he's got some major league production under his belt. So why trade that guy? That's exactly the guy you need to go out and find if your payroll is going to be limited. Right. And if, and if, and if, all right, so let's, let's say that there are issues in the clubhouse. Uh, They did sour on Kelnick's attitude or, and, or they aren't confident that he's an everyday player or what have you. Mm-hmm. They can still just trade him on 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 his own. They don't have to attach him to a deal like this. So clearly, the the driving force here is the money. Now, mm-hmm. there could be other issues that are in addition to that, but they're those are secondary. So, yeah, while they're they're uh, like while a trade of some kind, and I speculated about this last night on Twitter after we did the show that like while a trade of some kind for Kelnick may have been coming all along the the way that it was handled the fact that he was attached to a couple of bad contracts and that you didn't get a return that's necessarily reflective of a guy that still has 5 years of club control is only 24 years old has some upside and seemed to have finally started to come into his own a little bit this past season it's it's very clear what this trade is was yeah mm-hmm. so that's what's upsetting about it it's not it's not specifically about the player but the other thing that I'm concerned about here is are they actually going to roll with Dom Canzone as an everyday player? Like, are they going to write him in pen as an everyday player in one of the outfield spots? I have to. By I don't know, day? but I have a I have a bad feeling all my Jared Kelnick autograph cards were bad investments now. So get to 10K, you know, maybe I'll give something away. Got to clear it with legal first, but, you know. I, I, I guess maybe. I could give away the bobblehead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sad now. I, I I got over it. I started feeling better about the trade this morning, but then talking about it again, I'm sad again. So, oh really? So you listen to what I had to say, and, and you kind of let it marinate, and all of a sudden you like the trade. Hmm. Imagine that. Right. It was you. It was all you. It was all you. Yep. I just heard your voice in my head telling me, "Ty, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Ty, you're stupid for feeling that way. You should feel differently." And I was like, "You know what, Colby? You're right. Should feel differently. You're welcome." We're going to answer more of your questions in just a moment. But first, a reminder, this episode of the Locked On Mariners podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and a whole lot more. And the Mariners might not be playing right now, but the Kraken and Seahawks are. So whether the action is on turf or on the ice, whether it's Jared McCann or Gino Smith, you can bet on it all with FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, that's L-O-C-K-D-O-N, and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the National Football League. And you're listening to the Locked On Mariners podcast. Thank you again for making us your first listen. And as a reminder, Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7 
covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. And this is Mailbag Monday. We're answering your Mariners questions. Let's see what we got here. We got one from Max. Is it possible the Mariners add both Paredes and a Rosarena from the Rays? Probably not without trading Logan Gilbert. Yeah. Um, by the way, apparently, quick clarification. It was Heyman, not Passan, who specified uh, that he... Oh, so, oh. yeah. Uh, you know, oh, Heyman, great, okay. great knower of all things Mariners. Um, <laughs> yeah. Didn't he also throw out the Soto thing last night, too? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah just never, guessing. never. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. He's always Moving guessing. Uh, to be fair, it seems like most people are just guessing about what the right. Mariners John, are doing this winter. John, John Morosi uh, said the, the Mariners are great fit for another player. This time, yep. Cody Bellinger. So. He's just throwing guys out. Like, don't listen to anything Morosi says, guys. It, it's wait till he tweets news, not opinion. Um, let, it, let us know in the comments. Uh, question of the day. Who has John Morosi not linked to the Mariners this winter? <laughs> Wrong answers only. There you go. There you go. I think he said something about Sue Bird coming out of retirement to play right field. So <laughs> that could be something. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, they could, but yeah, I think, I think it probably takes Gilbert. I don't see a path to a deal getting both of those guys without giving up Logan Gilbert. Um, and, you know, is, is Paredes four years of Paredes and three years of a Rosarena worth Gilbert? Probably. Uh, but are the Rays going to see it that way? Probably not. So uh, you never know. You can't rule anything out. Um, but I would say it's it's highly unlikely that uh, there's any deal that we could conjure up where both sides are comfortable giving up uh, what it would take to to move those two players. So um, mm-hmm. one of them, yeah, I could absolutely see one of them. Uh, you know, and I think both of them make a good deal of sense. Um, I'd prefer Randy or Rosarena if I had to choose, but. Uh, I think both make sense. I just have a hard time coming up with a deal or a scenario in my head where the Mariners get both of them, unless it's some kind of crazy three team deal. And, and like, I don't know, the Rays are getting Soto and something like, I just, I just don't see it. Next question here from Michelle. Do you think Cole Young is our future second baseman or do you think JP moves to second base when Young is ready to come up? I think Young is closer to the big leagues than his current, you know, where he ended 2023 would suggest. So I I don't think that this is about young being three years away and where's JP going to play in three years. I think this is about young potentially being, you know, nine months away. Uh, And at that case, you're not moving JP Crawford off of shortstop for an unproven, you know, 21 year old uh, prospect. So Young's going to play second base at least for quite a while. Um, You know, unless again, JP does get traded or something like that, which, we can't rule out, unfortunately, but uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that the way things sit right now, JP is the shortstop. Cole Young will be the second baseman, uh, yeah. and we could see that double play combo on an everyday basis as soon as August. Say, as soon as August, but more realistically, probably sometime in like May or June of 2025. Young mm-hmm. is is quite advanced for his age. Yeah, um, it's also up to JP. You know, maybe the Mariners go to JP with the idea and they see what he thinks, and if he's open to it, maybe. Yeah, I just I don't think that Young is going to be significantly better defensively than JP. Yeah, I, 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 I agree too. Yeah, I know the metrics hate JP, but 
you watch him every day just like we do he's at least average at the very least he is an average shortstop right. his his range is is poor by the metrics but overall i mean you, you we've seen what jp can do <laughs> like jp is yeah uh, i mean, I mean not he's not a problem yeah he's a human highlight tape at times so mm-hmm. like he you know he's i would i would consider him to be at least an average uh, shortstop when you consider the high ends of, of JP and then what the metrics say and trying to balance that out a little bit more. Yeah, and that's that's about where Young is is kind of projected to be at short. It's about average. You know, he'll be fine. Next question here from Distraught. Hypothetically, which current players could you see the Mariners moving Julio out of center field for? This obviously isn't going to happen, but I'm curious to see who you think might outvalue him if there even is one. I don't think there is one. Nobody. Because we've been because we've even said with Luis Robert, like we wouldn't move Julio out of out of center field for Luis Robert. No, I mean Julio is probably a top five to eight defensive center fielder in mm-hmm. baseball right now. After the yeah. year he just had, nobody. The answer is yeah. nobody. I mean, like Kevin Kiermaier just won the the Gold Glove. You know, so Not a from from that standard, he is a better defensive center fielder, quote unquote. I'm using air quotes here for those listening on audio. Uh, but even for him, right? You wouldn't move Julio off of center field for Kevin Kiermaier. Absolutely not. So even the guys that might be better than Julio defensively at center field, those guys are not even in the same area code as Julio in terms of superstardom and being the face of your franchise and all that. Julio's the center fielder until he says, I don't want to be the center fielder anymore. That's just or what until, it is. Or until he takes a pretty serious step back defensively, and we have no reason to believe that's going to happen anytime in the next five years. Yeah. Uh, the dude's what 22 years old, <laughs> like yeah. so. No, nobody. Um, Julio staying in center field until either his health dictates that he moves or that, uh, you know, he's he's willing and ready to move. You're not going to you're not going to Julio this winter with anybody and saying, hey, would you be willing to move to left field if we sign this guy or we trade for this guy? No, no. The guy you acquire is willing to move because he's not Julio Rodriguez. So there's nobody. You're listening to the Lockdown Mariners podcast. Thank you again for making us your first listen here on Mailbag Monday. Got a couple more questions. Got one here from Deanna. Explain something I don't understand. An MLB season for an everyday player is about 600 to 720 plate appearances. Cade Marlowe had one F war and exactly 100 plate appearances. I understand production is an accordion and not a steady thing. Why can't I expect three to six F war from Marlowe? Math, logic, I test. He's not very good. Um, I mean, we, we saw, like, I mean, he, he did the bulk of that one F4. I mean, the entirety of that one F4 in the first two weeks that he was up, and then right. the final two weeks of the season, or his major league season, uh, were not good. <laughs> and he got sent down as yeah. a result. So Right. And never got called back up. No. Um, so the reason it's not just like, it, like you said, it's not linear, right? It, it, it There's ups and downs, ups and downs. And it's not uncommon for a player to come up to the big leagues uh, particularly an older prospect, uh, come up to the big leagues, hit pretty well while the league tries to figure out the best way to attack uh, the player. And then once they make their adjustment, the player struggles, and then they have to. we have to see if that player can make the adjustment to get back. And so, um, you know, basically, like you said, it, it's not a straight line. It's not linear. So if he was worth one win over 100 plate appearances, he might be worth negative four over the next or negative point four over the next hundred. And then the next hundred is, is he's plus point two and it just kind of yeah. ebbs and flows just like a regular season. So, um, 
expecting Marlowe to do, first of all, expecting anybody to be a six, one player. There's like a dozen guys that that's a reasonable expectation for. Um, so that's an issue expecting him to be a three, one player before he's ever done it before. That's also kind of a, a risky proposition. So uh, essentially when you look at Marlowe's war, it's heavily weighted by the first two weeks. And then the next two weeks he was at best replacement level. Um, but uh, that's why, because we have just as much evidence to suggest that he's replacement level as we do that. He is a three win player. Um, yeah. And then obviously you factor in just traditional scouting. Like what do our eyes tell us when we watch this guy play their strikeouts that are an issue here. The fact that he's 26, 27 years old and, and not absolutely destroying triple a pitching uh, in the PCL. That's kind of a red flag. So, um, mm-hmm. You know, Marlowe is is still an interesting guy, and and he just moved up the depth chart uh, pretty seriously after yesterday's trade. But um, the reason you can't expect him to be a three one player, and just or three to six one player, just in essence, is because he's never done it before. He's never been that guy. Well, and also again, he he accumulated that one F four, and I think he went beyond that. And then the struggles in the last couple weeks uh, for him drove that number down a little bit, but he accumulated all that in the first two and a half, three weeks of his major league career. And during that time, he was slashing 326, 425, 58. It's a 175 WRC plus. So it's unreasonable to expect him or expect that to be sustainable, right? Because that's, that's unfair to expect that of like all but five guys in the entire league to sustain kind of that kind of production. Next question from D Panky. This is our final question of the day. Do you agree that it's dumb people always focus on who won a trade? Shouldn't all of that matter is if your team is better or has more potential to be better with increased payroll flexibility? Yeah, we say it all the time. The, the uh, trades ideally, like the best trades are when both teams benefit from them, when both teams win the deal, right? That's what the whole point of trades are in the first place is that team A needs or wants X. And team B needs or wants Y, and both of those things pan out, both teams. Yes. We usually look at the team that's buying as the winner of the deal rather than the team that's selling, yeah. right? But because the team that bought got the best player at the time doesn't necessarily mean that the team that sold isn't going to extract more value out of the trade long term. Yeah. Uh, also, it matters where teams are. Uh, when they make the trade where they're at in their, yeah. in their build. Um, pretty good example of this is, is like the JP Crawford for Gene Segura trade. Mm-hmm. Um, first couple of years, that seemed like a steal for the Phillies. Now we're looking back and we go, boy, the Mariners are so much better off with, with JP than they are with, with Segura. But I don't think either team feels bad about that trade at all. Uh, yeah. Another really easy example of that is, is the Hanager, um, you know, the Hanager Taiwan trade, like, uh, they the the you know the Diamondbacks got Cattell Marte, uh, mm-hmm. the Mariners got uh, Gene Segura, who they then flipped uh, a couple after an All Star season uh, for JP Crawford, you know, and, and they got Mitch Haniger out of that too. So, uh, and that's yeah. the other thing too is that we, these trades are all kind of connected, and you can branch them off um, of one another. So, uh, obviously, I, I know a lot of I, this probably stems from a lot of people saying the Mets won the trade. The Mariners don't feel bad about that trade at all not they they don't uh so uh i'm of course edwin diaz trade is what i'm talking about they don't feel bad about that trade at all just because none of those guys are still in the org um because you know kelnick when kelnick gave them a win and a half this year or whatever and then he went out 
and he got them two players, right? And and he also helped them clear salary. Uh, they, you know, they they acquired Justin Dunn in that trade. Well, Justin Dunn went out and helped them get two pretty good years of a Eugenio Suarez uh, and one, you know, fringe average year of, of Jesse Winker. So, mm-hmm. yes, the the idea that like a team won or lost a trade really doesn't carry any value whatsoever. To, like not, nothing real. It's just a discussion point. Right. It, and right. basically we use, they won a trade, they lost a trade. Basically you use that to try and make a point about the GM who made the trade. Right. Yeah. Sometimes well, you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. What's most likely to happen is both teams lose. What is the ideal scenario? Both teams win. That is, that is how it goes. Right. And again, back to the, to the Hanager example, even excluding the, the JP aspect of that, the Mariners extracted the more immediate value and the Diamondbacks extracted more of the long-term value. Like I was talking mm-hmm. about where it turns out both teams won. It's just, you know, the further we get away from the trade, it looks better for the Diamondbacks. But at the time that that trade was made and shortly thereafter, it looked like the Mariners had fleeced the Diamondbacks. Right. So deals also tend to change in terms of perspective once we get more contacts with them as well. And so that's why, like, again, when a deal happens right right away and we're immediately saying this team won, this team lost, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's pointless. It's pointless yeah. because, I mean, like with the Mariners, right, with this particular trade, the Jerry Kelnick trade to, to the Braves, I think it's a, a very much dependent on what they do with that money, if they do anything with that money. And also, we right. don't know what Jerry Kelnick is actually going to do in Atlanta. We think we know what he's going to do. We think mm-hmm. that he's going to pop off in Atlanta. But right now, the Braves are outright saying we don't even think that he's guaranteed the left field spot. So, right. We also have no way of knowing what they spend that money on because they can they go out and sign like Shohei Otani or whatever. But we don't know that they that we count the twenty million or fifteen million they saved as money they gave to Otani. We don't know, right? So, right. a lot of the times when we when we talk about who won a deal, who who lost a deal, it's really just nomenclature. It doesn't carry significant value. So we say, oh, they lost that deal. Okay, so what? They went out and they did this instead, and and it worked, right? So, um, every GM, every baseball ops exec has good trades. They have bad trades. Even the really good, like Billy Bean, has some whoppers of losing trades. See an awful baseball executive? No, nobody thinks that. Theo Epstein lost trades, but did they make sense at the time? I think that's the most important thing. Did they make sense for the team who made them at the time? Was the process sound? Did it make right and that's why when we point at things like the Austin Nola trade, like yeah. we can call that a, def- a, de- a definitive loss, not because of what all those players became for Seattle and what they, what Nola didn't become for uh, San Diego. It's because that was bad process. That was really bad process by Preller. And that's why that's a bad trade because I'll tell you what, if Austin Nola was rolling out three win seasons, the mayors still feel very good about that trade, but the Padres aren't crying. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're feeling okay about it too. And that's just how it works sometimes. So, uh, process is, is ultimately what matters. And that's why it's really hard to go back and like, look at past off season deals and be like, well, they lost that one. They lost that one because we often don't remember the process or the thought process that went behind why a deal like that would be made. We just focus on the names and just, yep, that guy was worth two wins. This guy was worth one. They lost. And it's like, right. Process matters. Why did they make the deal? Right. Um, so that's way more important than who won or who lost the deal. All right. Something to keep in mind, but uh, that's going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Locked On Mariners podcast. For Colby Patnode, I'm Tidy Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter 
at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Tydane Gonzalez, new at for me on Twitter, and Colby at CPAT11, that's CPAT11. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode. Thank you again for making us your first listen. Have yourself a beautiful baseball day. We'll see you next time. Peace.